Welcome to our podcast, everybody. We just finished up season one of shooting our Dungeons and Dragons. Woo! We did it. So similar to that, I was going to say this. Um, it's really, I've been thinking a lot about stories. Okay. And uh, one thing I think that I will do is to take the mindset that I have towards charisma breakdowns and apply that to fiction, Yeah, which is going to make it way less fun mm-hmm. to watch movies and everything. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to rewatch, I mentioned this to you, the uh, Stranger Things season four. If you haven't watched any of it, I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, but it's very good. The characterization is incredibly strong and in, they introduce a new character in the first episode and I found myself liking him uh, a ton within two scenes. Mm. Was surprised by him, uh, enjoyed him, and it's just fascinating how a good writer can do that. Contrast that with I watched the first two episodes of Obi-Wan. Mm. And like you and McGregor, I enjoy, but it's, man, it's just like there's way worse writing. Mm. Sometimes I look at some, this is a separate thought, some uh, media, and I'm just like, did you, did you guys care? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did like, did, did you try? Yeah. Because I like that when you say that, everyone thinks about Game of Thrones. <laughs> 100% of people went Game of Thrones season eight. I get it. Yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. Did you just stopped. You just stopped. You just caring. gave up. There's a thing in, in Obi-Wan where clearly the person who wrote like this, the screenplay and the person who directed it just had this disconnect. So probably some line in the script is like, and then, you know, this little girl evades Obi-Wan and runs away. And the director shoots it like a, whatever, 40-some-year-old Ewan McGregor is, like, trying to grasp this nine-year-old, seven-year-old girl as she, like, runs away and can't catch her. And it's just, like, on the page, this makes sense. Like, she runs from him. Yeah, yeah. Watching it on camera, it's just total immersion breaking yeah, yeah. <laughs> to watch Why, you think a small Wait, child you oh, think a small child would not be able to escape not the grasp be able to of a Jedi master man. even if she did couldn't he just go Yoink? well no assume that he's not using his powers for, for plot points but just uh, I was like you can't you just grab her can't, yeah. can't use your much larger size I don't know um, and it happens on a number of things like that happen on a number of occasions where they're in a firefight and then they're just not it's like well how did how did the uh, geometry of this work itself out so that's a separate thought. It was really poorly directed at various points. Sorry. Wasn't planning on watching it. Sorry if you're the director out there. I'll still watch it because, you know, this is the value of a strong IP. If, if it's in the Star Wars universe. Oh, interesting. I'm Star Wars in- lost me. I loved the original trilogy and I stuck with it and now I've given up. Um, Did you watch The Mandalorian? I stopped. It was... But you tried. I tried. Wow. So they got you. I try. They keep getting swings. That's impressive. Uh, that's what? how. Why do you think this is worth so many billion dollars? Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. But here's the thing: I'm sitting there. I am want to watch something. Yeah. I have uh, an endless buffet on Netflix and YouTube. In this, it's the and power. It's, it's power it of a good first impression. Tips you over. It's like it's oh, I have. I don't know of any of this, and I recognize this one. Yeah. I'll give it a try. Um, that multiplied by all the people in the world is why these are worth billions of dollars. Sure. Because you'll just give fantastic beasts a try. Oh, uh, like the fantastic <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> I think you're the only one. I, I am the only one, but I liked them. Um, one other thing that I saw is with both mystery and themes, they are incredibly important and valuable to a story, mm-hmm. but also so powerful when the story isn't right, it, it, when they don't smack you in the face with them. Yeah, well, it's you, you say this often, it's that... Uh, same thing with a plot twist. Mm-hmm. Like if a movie has to be good 
before the plot twist. Fight Club being the yes. perfect example. Like yes. that could be a good movie, even if spoilers, Tyler Durden and Tyler Durden weren't one person. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you'll make a plot where the whole thing is the twist and then that kind of sucks. It's terrible. And it's, you're saying it's the same thing with themes and foreshadowing. Yes. I'm saying when, because interestingly themes. Six if, Sense, another good example. Yeah. If, if you were to state, and I realized like as I was watching some Strange Things, if you state what the theme is in any sort of medium, it's always some banal word. It's like the power of love can overcome mm. evil. It's like, yeah, but that's, that's so lame. But when there's a story, a story, and you're you're involved in the spectacle and the characters and the what's going to happen, and then the power of love overcomes evil, it hits you like a sledgehammer. Sure, you know what I mean. It like, but when the theme is so obvious, so on the nose, the character state in episode one that you have to believe in love, you know, it's just it doesn't work. Um, so anyway, I'm going to try to make a codified list of these types of things. I'll do fiction story yeah that's so funny I, I had the exact same thought so we're doing a second season of uh D, and i wanted to bring more to my character because i thought i could have done better in season one mm-hmm. so i was like okay well i'm gonna watch my favorite shows which are dimension 20 and i'm gonna take notes when i like certain characters and when i laugh so you and i have the exact same mindset which is i want to do this better i'll just find someone who does it well and then try to figure out what they're doing and then copy them well yeah, and the skill that I guess I have at a high level is the breakdown analysis skill. It's yeah, the ability yeah. to watch something over and over and over again and identify the moment where I liked a character and then go, why? Do you think that you always had that or do you think you actually honed that while trying to learn charisma originally at like 19, 20 years old? I think I honed it. I think yeah. I honed it because I remember some of the initial hypotheses that I had. I told you about these. Yeah. It was like big eyes are awesome. Yeah. I, I wasn't good at that i thought it was honed as well yeah that's why i was asking so and this is something that we've for those of you out there like with the breakdowns one of the things that we find as we train writers that it's difficult is the ability to run thought experiments about charisma in your head which Mm -hmm. is to say um this guy walked into a room let's just pretend it's tom hardy and insulted the interviewer and people like him and some people go well it's because he insults people it's like okay that's correlated but you have to be able to go what if he didn't insult the interviewer? Would they still like him? Yes. Okay, well, then that's not the operative or thing. could I imagine where someone would insult the interviewer and it yeah. not go well? I mm-hmm. saw a good example, actually, because people who want to apply now, they do outlines for a couple people, and one is Chris Pine. And one guy you know, would write, Chris Pine has, he crosses his arms and he crosses his legs. He has body language that's powerful because he's everything's closed off. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's not true. Mm-hmm. And then someone else writes, despite his closed off body mm. language, he seems very confident because of his voice. Mm. And I go, yes. Yeah, yeah. You, one person is just looking at the pattern and writing down what they see and they see he's always got his legs crossed. That's got to be a power body language pose. Mm-hmm. And the other guy gets it enough to go, is that true? I actually think that's not true. Okay, well, then why do I like him? him? They can imagine him doing this and go, oh, that might work even better. Correct. Or, yeah. they, or they go, what if he had this body language and a different voice? Oh, I think he wouldn't come off confident. So yeah, it's those hypotheses. Yes, that are important. Um, Semi-related to that. I told you this, but I'll repeat it. Uh, I spoke to a guy about growing our business. He talked about the different stages in business. And one of the questions that I asked him that he thought was a good one was, do I really want to grow my business? Mm. And the reason is that at different levels, um, people say there's like roughly a zero to um, small single-digit 
million in revenue is one size business. Really? Oh, it's that's like, one size. Well, oh. to be fair, it's like zero to a hundred K. That's what I thought. Yeah. It's like yeah. zero to a hundred K a hundred K to a million. A, yeah. You could, you could break it up, but even then it's like still pretty small. Like you're like now zero to a hundred is you do everything. You do it all yourself because you can't afford anything. And the skill you're trying to build is how do I do anything that people value? Yes. Uh, or sell anything that people mm-hmm. value. A hundred to a couple is like, you're hiring, you're hiring a handful of people. You're mostly just trying to go in on your zone of genius and get other people to support around you. And then at a couple million, it's like now you need real rainmakers in the business. Like you're paying- You need other people to be talented. Whereas when you're going from 200,000 to 800,000, it's like, can you get people uh, to take yeah. other stuff off your plate so you can focus only on the really valuable stuff? Mm-hmm. And, yes. then, and then at some point you are the bottleneck and then you need other people who aren't you mm-hmm. doing stuff that's valuable. Yes. So, and then this stage that um, we are, would be entering into is, which is the next stage is you're hiring talented people and the role and responsibility of the person running the business change dramatically at each level. It, you go from, you know, zero to hundred is I have to do everything. I have to do it all. Like hundred two, this is a huge shift is I only have to do one thing. I have to get other people to do all of the administrative tasks, which mm-hmm. is a huge shift. And then you come back to, I have to get people who can do the valuable thing really well, which means I need to hire, train, fire, which is totally uncomfortable. Yeah, people you, you that could don't be very work. talented at making products and terrible at hiring or yeah. training. And so the question is that he was just showing me his little chart of like, do you want this? And as I looked forward, he's like, and here's, you know, whatever to 30 or 50 million. And then here's 50 to hundred. And it was like, just looking forward, I was uh, HR problems, people who think they deserve promotions, but didn't get them like people comparing salaries and wondering why there's, it's like, Oh, that sounds so annoying. Yeah. You know, like, you know, at this point you hire a CFO and you have to do quarterly planning. And it, I was just like, ah. <laughs> I don't know that I necessarily want this. Um, well, I don't think that's what, I mean, unless this is a separate stage at some point you have a head of HR who is in charge of the people who want promotions. Yes, but you as the CEO are setting culture and dealing with interpersonal. Like you yes, have to, you have to protect the culture is what he was talking you about. Pro- I think you protect the culture and I think you manage the heads of the divisions. But mm-hmm. I think even at $20 million, you aren't the person who's deciding if people get promoted unless those people are getting promoted to a high level manager position. Correct. But I think what he says is that you are dealing with something that you don't really deal with at the smaller levels, which is politics start to enter into a business. Mm-hmm. And um, dude, every conversation about salary involves you or me at this point. And it evol- you know, it's just like very clear. And at some point you get an organization that has more people, more opportunity for people to be disappointed or to feel like they were miscommunicated. Um, so anyway, it was interesting. There's obviously fun parts because then you get to work more on strategy. I was going to say, yeah, most of the people I know, uh, maybe there's a step missing, but the people I know that are in the 30 million plus revenue, they say that almost all their time goes towards strategic stuff. Yes. And they're like, I'm thinking two years in advance, like always. And I'm tasked and I'm like, and not hands-on at all. Mm -hmm. Often like working with other people whose job is to implement or come back to them and yeah. say it was impossible or whatever it is. But yeah, it's not fire drills. It's not, oh my God, get this website back up. Like sometimes we find ourselves doing, yeah. um, which is interesting. And there's so, I, I people, felt- I mean, the, a couple people I can think of definitely prefer that level. I liked the job description better at that level, but it also had a problem description that I was like, oh, I don't love that either, yeah. to be fair. Um, but is yeah, a, a cool job description. 
Um, and then the highest would it was of a hundred is like, now you're talking about going public. Maybe you're doing all this. You got to get your, your, yeah, a lot of fundraising stuff. I yeah, think yeah. at a certain level. And then which a, is, apparently when you're fundraising, all you think about is fundraising. Yes. And so I was like, wow, this, that's uh these are dramatically different jobs. And I don't know which of these I do or don't want. And I'm not single mindedly focused on yeah. growth. So the next level would be nice. I do agree. It would be nice to have, um, people creating scripts that I thought were really high quality and, um, uh, taking more strategic to Chris Monk man but I'm also I just like D&D more so maybe we'll see what happens um and then the I only have a handful of things today Chris Monk command will live on though will always live on yes we uh I read a thing that had mentioned vapes and uh how quickly teens were addicted yeah what? <laughs> and, and involved in that and Why? is it because of the nicotine or because it tastes like candy <laughs> I think both oh, who would have thought <laughs> what a powerful combination so there there seems to be this arms race because as soon as it's uh realized so for instance cigarettes came out and there was resistance within any of the cigarette companies who admit that tobacco caused lung cancer for oh, yeah. decades that's a really nice way to put it there was resistance yeah there was hiding and they knew <laughs> a it a ton of money they knew <laughs> it and all these things um you know same thing with sugar or whatever and with vapes it's oh the vapes don't have tobacco you know they're not a problem my guess is that vapes in x amount of years have very bad health consequences. Maybe yeah. not as bad as your traditional c- cigarette, probably not as bad as your traditional unfiltered cigarette. Yeah, yeah. But bad. Like I agree. really not good for you, not worth the taste of candy in your mouth. Yeah. Um, probably should just eat candy, <laughs> would be my guess. And even that candy, monk fruit. candy's bad. But yes, and this is exactly what I'm saying. No, just eat monk fruit is what I'm saying. Well, there's this arms the race. There's this arms race to invent the new thing that doesn't count as not good for you. Yeah. And there is an unholy alliance between um, industry and the consumer who's mm-hmm. like, just, if you just write sugar-free on this, but make it taste like a, the sweetest thing I've ever had, I won't question the fact that there's a, 28 letter word on yep. the back that I've never seen that well, in five years is definitely going to cause cancer. Also, they not not in sugar. five years. In five years, will be discovered. They so had sugar and then they came up with, you know, the fructose and the corn syrup and the sucralose. They said, now we can do this. We, we've solved sugar. Butter to margarine. And then <laughs> it know? turns out that that stuff's really bad for you. And yeah. so then they shelve that and they come up with the new generation of this is really good for you i promise you it just tastes amazing so, so every yeah, time well, now we need to do yeah. enough research to prove this is bad for you so so i suspect monk fruit is one of those things and uh that that now is one step ahead because it's not a long word it has the word fruit in it yeah, it yeah. sounds fine it's just like look if it tastes really good chances are it's not good for you yeah uh and if it tastes like spinach <laughs> it's probably very good for yeah. you uh not unless a one-to-one unless it's a berry Unless it's a berry. And then Berries there is, are acceptable. We think, yeah. and But that, that seems to be settled mostly for uh, oh, yeah, they're not in same decades as, yeah. at this point. But uh, yeah, that it was just interesting to me that there's- that The know, vapes were considered vapes, healthy. Vapes, monk fruit, and they still are to many people. There were people arguing, well, at least it doesn't have tobacco. And I'm sure that there might be degrees of better. But yeah. if it does the thing that the thing that's bad for you does just as effectively- just trust that it's going to be discovered to not be very good for you in advance. Yeah. No, I think probably if I were to bet, I would bet that vaping is healthier than smoking a cigarette and much worse for you than not vaping. Mm -hmm. That's where I would put my money if I were uh, allowed to make money off this. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and the, I also wrote this. I didn't never did it, but uh, thank you to our patrons. I think we're going to answer a handful of patron questions just because we didn't have a lot. This was a short week for our recording schedule. Um, but our YouTube, we had a lot of like Jordan Belfort clips that were driving a lot of money, which went to Justin. Those slowed down as they do on YouTube. And you guys have you guys have still made it a viable thing for us to do this podcast. Thank you, patrons. Um, it's close, I'll be honest. <laughs> and it's, it's on a razor's edge at any moment. But um, there's 730 people last I checked that were patrons which is awesome. And even at times where we were making a little bit more from Patreon, it was with a lower number who people who were like sponsoring full episodes. So it is heartening to have a growing number of people that care at $3 or $6 a month or whatever it is. Um, or even, you know, 15, 25, or I know there's even a 300, uh, in there. So we appreciate you guys. It is the reason that we, uh, we do this. Cool. Are we going straight to Patreon questions? Patreon questions. It right. was, yeah, and it cool. was a short, so, and we're going to do some questions just because it was a short week. I didn't have a lot um, to bring with for you. Yeah, we recorded four days ago, and subsequently <laughs> the news has all been awful, and so I've been giving myself a mental health week from even consuming it. Cool. Sweet. Well, we have one normal question before we mm. get into the Patreon ones. So it's, uh, would you ever have a guest over who is a competitor? The interview would be extremely interesting, but you'd be indirectly favoring that competitor by giving him space. We're There's, about to have Vanessa Van Edwards on our YouTube channel. Yeah. So I think the answer is yes. There's not a lot of people that this, so there's markets that are more competitive than others. So take things that people very clearly want. And it's just a question of where they're going to get it from. So like there's fitness stuff or how to get skinny in the realm of charisma. Anybody that is convincing other people that they want to learn charisma is really helping us. I think so. Because we on YouTube are charisma on command. Own the word charisma yeah. in the minds of a lot of people. So if there's somebody out there like driving the importance of charisma, yeah, maybe you'll buy their course, but you will also find us. Um, so it's just not as competitive versus like fitness. Everybody knows about fitness. You're not discovering it from then. It's just a question of who your guy's gonna be. I will say like for instance, I, we are legitimately working with Vanessa Van Edwards to publish a video on mm -hmm. our YouTube channel. I wouldn't blindly take someone just because they were a competitor. I'd want to like them as a person, know who they were, even have them on this podcast. Like I don't need to have someone on here that I dislike mm -hmm. in order to try to debate who's the better charisma expert. That's yeah, just yeah. not the kind of conversation I'm trying to have. But that wouldn't be because they're in the same industry. That'd be because I don't like them. So yeah. why would I invite them to our couch? Yeah, and if you look at the people we've had on the couch, it's, it's first and foremost people that we are want to talk to. Yeah, Robbie. Last guest. Yeah. Super cool guy. I hope he comes back. If I went to Canada, I would absolutely hit him up. Like mm -hmm. that's who I want to have conversations with. If that happens to be someone who teaches charisma, that's totally cool by me. Heal. Sweet. Let's go to Patreon. Nice. So we're going to do a couple of these on here. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. I'm going to throw some of these in. All right. We're going to throw some on here and we're going to cut to that now. But first... Join Patreon. Keeps us going. <laughs> um, we need you guys. Um, it does keep the podcast going. We appreciate it tremendously. When down AdSense months, it keeps us going. Um, and it really is at this point for the people who like this the most that we do it. And it's a small and growing number. So we're very appreciative. If you want to join any dollar amount, gets you access to all of these questions that mm -hmm. we answer every single week that we shoot a podcast. Yeah, you get extra content. You get your question answered guaranteed. And you ensure the podcast keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> All right, first one is, I'd love to hear Charlie and Ben's thoughts on Jordan Peterson announcing he's leaving Twitter. A few of his recent ah. tweets talked about how the platform is maddening and un unacceptably toxic. Mm -hmm. I'm a longtime Peterson fan, but it's bizarre to see him act so disgusted with the negativity online when he, pays, when he plays a hand in stirring the pot too. 
A lot of his recent tweets are taking swings at people he disagrees with in a snarky way that surely inspire people to fire back. A recent one is of the recent Sports Illustrated swimsuit cover with an overweight woman. Peterson tweeted it with the caption, sorry, not beautiful, and no amount of authoritarian tolerance is going to change that. I get his point, but the way it's phrased comes off as tasteless and meant to provoke angry reactions rather than a thoughtful discussion. Peterson, in person, is a very kind and thoughtful person, and in the many interviews and debates I've seen from him, he is level-headed, and he deals with people who disagree with class. He's also said many times that he doesn't like conflict and is very stressed out by confrontation. His Twitter persona looks like the opposite and resembles more <laughs> of an internet troll than an intellectual. What do you think about Peterson's struggle with, twi- with Twitter? Do you think his issue with negative tweets is mostly or partially self-inflicted? I'm puzzled by how somebody this smart seemingly has no self-awareness of how he's fueling something he apparently dislikes. Well, I think you may have highlighted it. I think perhaps he looked at the incoming tweets and his own behavior and didn't like either of them. I don't think he looked at his own behavior. You don't think so? so I think I've, You haven't seen his Twitter. Bro, it's his Twitter is awful. But Jordan what I'm Peterson he, on Twitter sucks. You don't think that he potentially like reflected and said, this platform is bringing out the worst no, in me? what he said was that the inbound, he was specific. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't follow he said him. The so following, because he so. said something and then people were mean to him. Uh, he's, got he's got to get off. Twitter is, it brings out the worst in him. I think it brings out the worst in a lot of people. I see all, a lot of people, which I just luckily missed, are addicted to Twitter. Yeah. Like, Elon Musk is addicted to Twitter. Um, successful people. Jordan Peterson on Twitter is ugly, honestly. It's like he's unlikable. Well, he was very, he was obvious that he, because I, I maybe misunderstood this as like the same reason people get off Instagram, which isn't because they don't want to necessarily see other people's posts, but because they don't, they want to remove the compulsion to post in themselves. So they um, go cold turkey. Maybe he did. That did not seem to be reflected in the wording that he used to describe some of the Got decisions. It. Also, he was just very active for a long period of time, like every now and then, because I'm curious what Jordan's up to. And especially when he wasn't on, um, when he disappeared for such a long time, there were occasional updates on Twitter. So I don't have a Twitter account, but I would just Jordan Peterson Twitter, see what he was doing. And so mm-hmm. I've done that in the past. Twitter's really nasty, man. Interesting. It is. Um, and this most recent one, which is like authoritarian, bro, it's Sports Illustrated magazine. Why are your panties so in a bunch that they have a girl that is large on the, like, who cares? This is not authoritarianism. Pretending that Sports Illustrated matters is ridiculous. Uh, and you're giving them way too much credit. They got exactly what they wanted out of you, which is publicity. Yeah. Um, who cares if you find the, well, you're 60 plus years old. Like, who cares who's on the cover of Sports Illustrated? The fact that you're sucked into this nonsense portion of the culture war. And I don't think the whole culture war is nonsense. I think who's on Sports Illustrated is stupid. No, there's parts of the culture war that you think are very important. Yeah. Um, but this is not it. Yeah, I think it's it's a bummer, and I think it's good that he's off, um, with, whether it was to curb his own outflow of nonsense and silliness or to curb the inflow of it. Yeah. I think it's great that he's gotten off. Probably the majority of people would just be better off deleting their Twitter. I think there's probably a small fraction of people that's lives are enriched by even having a Twitter or yeah. looking at it, posting, consuming. I think most people, yeah. over 50%, it's like, just delete this. Your life will be better. I think Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, maybe. I don't know what Facebook is nowadays. But well, you can keep Facebook Messenger and delete Facebook. Facebook. That's what I've done. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. what, just to be clear, that's what I have Facebook Messenger because yeah. I lived all over the world for a while. Uh-huh. It's a good WhatsApp alternative. Mm-hmm. And I do not have, I don't look at Facebook. Yeah, me neither. Like, 
So I don't, that's what I'm saying. I don't Occasionally know. Occasionally I have to open it because it oh, gives it, me permission. My life is better without apps. it. My life is better. Now the one that I like, even not as a is YouTube, it's just television. It's it's Yeah, I've always thought it was interesting that that even gets bucketed as a social media because it's normally there's so much more production that goes into it. If you look at how much production goes into a tweet and then you look at Mr. Beast's Squid Game, mm -hmm. it's like $3 million, a lot of work, a full team. Or same with Dimension 20 or Critical Role. Like yeah. hours of editors and producers this like, I'm surprised we think this is uh, social media in the same way that mm -hmm. these much more inter interactive and less produced and less thoughtful mediums yeah. are. Yeah. Oh, and Reddit, which I, that, that's the worst one that I actually use. So I would, of the, I would say Reddit, I said three others. Most people who use them would be much better off without them in yeah. their life at all. And the amount that they would miss from not having them, especially with WhatsApp and Messenger out, is negligible. Mm -hmm. Like, it, um, You'd, you'd miss almost nothing. And everybody who deletes them tells you, they're like, couldn't point to anything that I've missed. I don't know what great opportunities would have come yeah, through yeah. Instagram. But What's like funny is I think a lot of people who hear this, they go, I completely agree on the ones that I already don't use that much. Mm -hmm. And I vehemently disagree on whichever one I, so it's like, I totally disagree on Instagram, but I get you on Twitter. Or like, mm -hmm. no, Twitter's totally different, but I get you on Instagram. Well, you can, to be clear, and you can curate these. It's tougher with certain platforms to be additive to your life. So like- Oh, I was just highlighting, I think most, this is one of those things I think most people nod along to the message, but don't uh, change their behavior. They're like, oh yeah, fucking social media. Yeah. But then they just keep doing it. And I see, so like TikTok, I think can go there, but TikTok is so wildly customized that some people get FOMO things that make you wish that you were doing other things or they make you feel less than. And some people get like strings of funny impressionists, yeah. which is that they click on when they're bored in line. And I'm not willing to throw that and just go, that's awful. Um, especially if they have the amount of time they use it under control. So yeah, I don't have TikTok mostly because I want to not be on that dopamine cycle. Yeah, it's too tight. And at the time, I wasn't sure what China was doing with it. <laughs> now we are, and so everybody that, decided the they don't reasons. care. Yeah, it's not. I'm not. I don't think TikTok would make me Jordan Peterson. I don't think it would make me start producing TikToks or writing comments. I just think it my impression is it's not great brain training. It's the opposite of meditation. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of quick dopamine. And then you put it down and you get into your world of trying to produce high quality work over a long period of time or sit in nature and your brain's just going, this is fucking terrible. Yeah, Go yeah, back yeah, to yeah, TikTok. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's why I don't do it. Fair enough. Next is, I often hear Charlie criticize people's devotion to their relationships with the general sentiment that most relationships end anyways be it in two weeks or 20 years, so they shouldn't sweat it so much. Mm -hmm. With that mindset, I wonder why he or Ben would attribute any value to relationships at all beyond the idea that this is currently the person I'm attracted to and enjoy spending the most time with. At that point, cheating becomes no more nefarious than coffee with a friend whom isn't considered your best friend. I anticipate their reaction well, to well, the... Well, let's pause, let's pause. Okay, He's, he anticipates a reaction, so... Uh, I anticipate the reaction to that analogy will be that you didn't enter into the friendship with the agreement that you could only have one friend. Yeah, you got, got it. Got it. You nailed it. <laughs> uh, I'd argue that the only reason that is the case is because it's never been societally agreed upon for friendships to exist in that way. True. Similarly, the Not only... Not the only reason, but strong reason. Similarly, the only reason cheating is stigmatized is because relationships have been societally agreed upon no, to be monogamous. No. Cheating, just to substitute lying. The problem is lying. You can have an open relationship. Yeah. I encourage you to try this if this is how you feel. You can tell someone before you sleep with them, hey, just a heads up, I don't date exclusively. I'm going to be seeing multiple people. I want you to know that before we get into anything too serious. And then you hook up and then you go hook up with other people and it's not cheating. Uh, yeah, let me finish the question because they kind of get into sure. that. So 
Charlie is comfortable cheating as long as his girlfriend gives him permission. Because no, no, no. The- this is semantically, this is very important. Um, cheating in the con. So here's how I view it. The every relationship has rules, some of which are explicit, the vast majority of which are never stated. You know what I mean? Like you've never told me, hey man, if you come over and strangle my dog to death, that's going to be it for you and me. Yeah, yeah. But I understand that because culturally, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's, there's huge amounts of things that Ben does not have to tell me that I understand to do that. So we're operating on an explicit level of what are our agreements and an implicit level. And, and I think we're pretty, pretty clear about that. In fact, it's a rare, rare occasion where we're not and that creates friction in any relationship. Um, I explicitly in an open relationship say, hey, you know that thing that everybody else assumes? That is not going to be the case with me. Yeah, and you say it before. And I say it before, and then I say, is that okay with you? And they say yes. Now, I'll give you another example. Uh, It is understood in some relationships that you can look or think that person's hot. And in other relationships, depending on the culture, it's not okay to look, not okay to think that that other person's hot. And so the definition of cheating slides with the assumptions that are made and if those are addressed in advance or not but it's not cheating if two adults agree on a framework of a relationship that they both abide by if somebody breaks that framework without notification that is cheating yeah we're okay with two consenting adults setting up rules in their relationship that they both agree to and then holding to it and if they sleep with other people because they've agreed that that's okay that's not cheating Mm mm-hmm so I wouldn't say I'm okay with cheating. I would say I'm okay with a relationship that is not purely monogamous mm-hmm. if both people have agreed to it. Yes, and just to be clear, most American relationships by, say, like strict Islamic standards would be cheating. You know what I mean? Because you're coveting or looking or thinking or you looked at a photo of a sports Some people think jerking off to porn is cheating. Yes, and so these are discussions. And by the way, there's a relationship that I could enter into if she's like, hey, if you ever jerk off to porn that I consider that a breach of our agreement. If I do that, I have cheated in the relationship, assuming that I agreed to that. Yes. If I reject that at the onset and say, no, I'm not going to sign up for that, so that's not going to work, she goes, okay, okay, fine. And then I do it. It's not cheating. So it's not the act. It is the act in conjunction with the agreement that has been made. So cool. I think that's now probably let's go, let's the answer. Let's go to the question. Uh, so the question is, why does the unspoken assumption of monogamy matter in the first place if most relationships end? It's not unspoken. It's spoken. Most most relationships have a conversation. It goes, what, what are, are we? we? <laughs> yeah. So it's three magic words. What are we? No, and this is, honestly, this is a big phase in most people's casual dating life, unless they're religious or, or very young, is they are hooking up. They do not have spoken agreements. Maybe they are monogamous. Maybe they are not. And then they come together and one of them says, what are we? And then they discuss if they are monogamous. So it is not an unspoken agreement in most every relationship. And if that it I is, it should. And th- there's occasions where, like, an ex girlfriend, an ex girlfriend of mine, had an unspoken monogamous agreement for two years that somebody broke. Like, and it's like, okay, well, well, we never talked about. It. It's like, come on, you both of you are not adults. Like, you both needed to talk about. Yeah, it should this be a spoken- well in advance. Um, so if you feel like you have unspoken agreements past a certain threshold. You just need to. This is the most classic, what are we? This is why people have the what are we conversation is because they're trying to make explicit their unspoken to that point desire mm-hmm. to be monogamous. Mm-hmm. Have we answered the question? Uh, yeah, there's another one. Cool, yeah. great. So I've heard Charlie and Ben hold heavy judgment for those who have cheated. 
um, saying that it is a big red a red flag big enough for them to avoid doing business and even becoming close friends with that person. Their logic being that if the person is willing to lie to someone they're in a relationship with, they won't hesitate to lie with either of them. Mm-hmm. I fundamentally disagree with this. I've personally been in relationships that I value far less than my close friendships, and I'm more likely to lie to a girl I've been dating for six months than a friend I've had for 15 years. Sure. Is it possible your heuristic could be attaching a level of respect for romantic engagements to a degree that the well, person in the question yes, does not hold? Wait, wait. I, I learned this. This was a learned lesson. I watched people who cheated on their girlfriends subsequently try to screw people in business. But also, and if this person is saying, is it possible that there's a person who would cheat on a girlfriend and not on their business partner? And the answer is yes. But what you're betting on is their level of respect, which you do not have direct access. Especially if you're not that 15-year friend. So let's say me and you just met. Mm-hmm. And I, you have a 15-year friend that you say you've never lied to. A five-year, or what was it, six-month? What was the relationship? The hypothetical was um, six-month, like a, a six-month girlfriend. A six-month girlfriend who you've committed to being monogamous with, right? So you have a 15-year friend, and you have a six-month relationship with someone who you purport to care about, who you've made a promise to, who you go around their back, and you cheat on. And now I've known you for a week, and we're discussing if we should do business together where a lot of money is on the line, and you know me, a lot less than you know that girlfriend, Mm -hmm. but I happen to know you cheated. It's not that you guaranteed will steal from me, but it would be a bit odd for me not to assume that you cared about me less than your girlfriend since I've known you for a week. And therefore, why wouldn't you use your same logic of saying this relationship isn't important? I will lie to enrich myself. I will lie to get what I want, or Mm -hmm. I will do something that will get me what I want and then hide it from you, Just which is the same logic you use for your six-month relationship. And Ben, but importantly to this person's question, just to give them, that might not actually be the case. You yeah, might yeah, go, okay. oh, I respect this business partner. I don't respect this girlfriend. And therefore- yeah, you might respect the I sanctity mean, of commerce more than sure, romantic sure. relationships. Sure. That's totally an option. But from our perspective of making wise, safe decisions- I just assume in the context of you the, the getting risk is what too you high. want- Yeah, the risk is too high. You may feel comfortable- lying to me or hiding something from me. And it's if not it a guarantee. It's not 100% you guarantee. What you want. And that's yes. only based on your past behavior of hiding or lying to get what you want in the context of a relationship that I assume you care more about than me, who you've known for one week or one month, only in a commercial context. And what I'm hanging my safety on is the belief that you respect me. You know what I mean? Because that's, that's what you're saying. I don't respect this person, therefore I lie to them. But with people I do respect, I don't lie to them and I don't double deal, which is like... Do, am I, do I feel secure enough to bet my financial, part of my financial future on the level of respect that you have for me, which is not transparent to me? I don't know. And I also think there's, I would say there's a difference. If you were like, oh yeah, in high school, I kissed a girl behind my girlfriend's back and I felt bad and I've never done it again versus I'm a serial cheater. I've been dating someone for two years. We live together. About once every two months, I cheat on them. There is a spectrum of cheating. The story we were discussing was a guy who was actively, not literally in the moment, but like that week, cheating on the girl that was in the same house as we discussed business. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, she was over a lot. She they was were over. clearly close. They said, yeah. I love you. And he was and like, he would sleep with other people. Yeah, like, oh, somebody's texting me. And it was just like, yeah. And then, and to be clear, he then did try to fuck us, <laughs> but luckily we had avoided uh, That's where we learned the lesson. too tight of a contract we went, that allowed oh, him to- In hindsight, we should have seen that behavior as a red yes. flag, and we didn't yeah. because we'd never been entrepreneurs before. Yeah, we got we got really excited that somebody was going to run all the marketing in our business, and we weren't going to have to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a learned lesson. Yes. Um, but and, and to be clear, like, it, um, 
past behavior of cheating on a girlfriend does not guarantee that someone lies to every single person in their life. No, no. That's not what I'm saying. It or, just, or will steal from you in business. Yeah, yeah. I just, it's just safer to work with people and contract with people, whether it's relationally or other things, that place honesty on a pedal that is independent of how much I like or respect this person. Like they feel a strong need to be honest because it's the right thing to do. And I'll give you some rare exceptions with it, which is like Nazis are asked at the door asking if Anne Frank is in the attic or there's an old person like being like, will you just hold my hand and pray with me as I die? And you're like, sure. Like, you know, like, will you pray to Jesus? You're like, yeah, I'll talk to him. Like there's, there's circumstances. Yeah, or, you're, or you're 16. Yeah, yeah. Or you're 16. <laughs> or, you lied or, to get alcohol when you're 16. Or, or you lied and then felt bad about it. And told the and, and made amends, which we all fucking do all the time. Yeah. Like, so there's degrees um, to all of this, but yes. that's the the high level framework is assuming that my relationship isn't fundamentally different from all your others. Cool. And yeah, in business often someone will feel. I mean, yeah, they might feel closer to their best friend than they do to their girlfriend, but they're going to feel closer to their six month girlfriend than they do to me when we've known each other for a couple of weeks and we're working out a potential deal together. Very good. I actually think in general, people feel more comfortable lying in business because they view it as a game of some sort. They think that there's meant to be winners and losers. It's not wrong to take advantage of people. I see that mindset more frequently in business than in friendships or dating. I do as well. Yeah. 